Agents Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by ZBuyer. ZBuyer offers an unparalleled home buyer and seller lead generation service. It's made by realtors for realtors. Since 2003, ZBuyer has been continually perfecting state-of-the-art lead generation pathways. And ZBuyer brings motivated home buyers and sellers to your virtual doorstep. So visit zbuyer.com forward slash LCA to see how ZBuyer can help you close more deals in 2023. So one of the most taboo topics, I would call it taboo anyway, because I host this podcast and I talk to a lot of people, is real estate investing. And there's so many different ways we can go with this. We talk about uh, we talk about residential, we talk about commercial, we talk about land, we talk about a lot of things. And the one thing that that has never really been approached or been brought to me is how do you help the just the common average agent, not the agent who's at the highest level, but just the agent who maybe even struggling with real estate get into investing. And many of you of our audience have heard me say, you know, you have a front row seat. And if you are a real estate agent of any any level, any experience level, any any time frame, you have a front row seat opportunity to invest in real estate more so than anyone else in the world. And if you're not jumping on this opportunity, you're leaving you're 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 leaving that opportunity on the sidelines. And so today's guest is someone who specializes in helping that quote unquote average agent build that real estate investment portfolio, set themselves up for potentially retiring earlier, or maybe it's introducing or getting, finding a way to build more investors into your business. Because let's be honest, we're not just rolling out of bed and wallowing in business, not like we were two years ago. And so uh, I think our guest today, Mike Swenson, is going to bring a lot of value. Introduced to me by Jake Dixon, who's a friend of the show and a friend of Lab Code Agents. So, Mike, I assume you're going to become a friend of the show as well. Welcome, man. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. So excited to be on. And um, yeah, I've been a friend of Lab Code Agents for for almost 10 years now. So love what you guys do, love the content, and just love the way you help people um, just to be able to give advice, give perspective, offer resources just to help agents succeed. So huge fan. Perfect. Well, then no pressure because uh, it's your, you're up now. You're, you were on deck and now you're up. And uh, so let's, let's, uh, let's bring it home, but let's start with uh, a little bit about you. You know, where, where did you come from? What led you to real estate? What led you to what you're doing today? You have a podcast uh, mm -hmm. called the real freedom podcast. It stands for real estate leverage freedom. Uh, so tell us, tell us about uh, kind of what led you to where you are today and, and investing in apartment buildings. And, you know, now, like you mentioned to me offline, you're, you're looking to do short term. So let's, let's, let's go deep. Yeah. I, I think, you know, my, my upbringing similar to a lot of people was, you know, my parents raised me to, you know, get a good education, get a good W2 job, contribute to your IRA account, and eventually you'll have a, enough to retire. And so, um, I kind of followed that path, followed that mentality. Um, and then when I got to college, I wanted to go, I knew I wanted to go into business. Um, and so I actually majored in entrepreneurship. Um, there, there was a program there 20, 25 years ago, back before it was really cool, <laughs> but I majored in entrepreneurship mm -hmm. 
and then quickly realized I liked the idea of entrepreneurship, but wasn't quite ready to take the risk of entrepreneurship. And so um, I ended up adding finance as a major and I went and worked in finance for a couple of years. Um, that switched over into operations. Um, and I did do some real estate investing along the way. So I tell people I kind of became an accidental landlord. Um, my wife and I got married in 2005. Uh, we bought our townhouse in 2006 and I was excited because it was a, a two-year-old complex and we got it for a couple thousand dollars less than they bought it for brand new. And so I was like, oh, we got a good deal. It appraised for $7,000 over our purchase price. So we got some instant equity. And then I watched the market tank and all of my neighbors short sale and foreclose on their properties. And the properties were worth half what I bought it for. And at that time I was working at a nonprofit. My wife was nannying because she was getting her master's degree. And I was like, man, what if I could buy some of these properties and fix them up or rent them out? Uh, but I, I didn't know what to do. And I didn't have the, the real estate knowledge and experience or the financial experience at that time to move forward. So um, we decided we wanted to buy a house. <clears throat> so I talked to my lender um, and I said, hey, is there any way that I could rent out this property and we go buy a house and own two properties? And he's like, well, let me crunch the numbers, crunch the numbers. Um, we found a coworker who was able to, um, that wanted to rent a place. And so we had a lease in place and that nice. was the kind of the risk that I needed to, to move forward as a landlord. And so we ended up holding that property from, I think we started renting it out in about 2010 and we just sold it last January in 2022, but it took eight or nine years for that equity to return to more than what we bought it for. And then I, I did a few flips along the way, house hacked. I work construction in college. So I like working on properties and Got into real estate full-time in 2014 because I, I joined a, a residential real estate team as an admin ops person. Um, the thing that kind of kept me from getting into real estate is I didn't want to be the 24-7 realtor that was working nights and weekends and away from my family and kids and all that. Um, but I found out about these large residential teams where I could kind of just play my role and do a good job at that and let everybody else do the stuff that they like to do. So helped build that team. Uh, we grew it to be the 31st largest real estate team back in 2019 um, in the United States. We did the expansion thing. We had the expansion locations in other states and all that. And then uh, kind of rolled that up and I decided I wanted to then launch my own team. And so I did that in 2020. Um, kind of the fun fact there is my first day uh, with my brand new team was the first day of COVID shutdown. Oh. So um, walked into my new new business adventure, finally being free of my W-2 job and uh, didn't really know what was going to happen. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so we did residential real estate for probably about six to nine months, uh, kind of got a plug into working with investors. And we've been an investor focused team now for the past two plus years, um, helping people buy you know, anything from not as much single family, more kind of duplexes, fourplexes. We also do um, a, some kind of small apartment complexes. Um, we've done some short-term rentals, some midterm rentals. And so really it's just helping helping people find properties that fit. I kind of say I'm your investor real estate matchmaker. So whatever your buy box is, whatever you're looking to accomplish on my job is to go find you a property that fits that. So um, we've been doing that for, for a couple of years now. And then, yeah, we bought a a 25 unit apartment building um, in the fall and uh, working on kind of doing large scale, um, you know, real estate investment and going to grow from there. That's exciting, man. That's a lot to unpack. So when you mentioned that as an agent, you 
you know, it sounded like to me like you kind of immediately started targeting investors as your core client base. What was kind of the deeper reasoning why you decided to go down that path? Yeah, so it actually came up from when I first got into real estate on the admin side, you know, having worked for a nonprofit, you know, making not much money, I assumed getting into real estate that people were making money hand over fist that they, um, you know, and a, and a lot of them are. Um, but what I saw is so many agents just struggling to get by needing that next closing to be able to pay for their mortgage or make their car payment. Um, and, and not necessarily thinking much about their future. And so I was like, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I, you know, my, my past in, in, in the nonprofit, I, you know, maxed out my 401k contribution, um, as much as I could. And I socked as much away for retirement. And then I got into real estate and I heard real estate agents talking about, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be an agent till the day that I die because I love it so much. But I think the secret is probably they don't have a plan B or they don't have, Mm -hmm. any sort of retirement saved up. And then too, I would see these agents struggling where every year began at zero for them and they didn't have enough money to be able to put into <clears throat> some sort of savings or some sort of um, investment property. And so, you know, yeah, that was back in 2014. I saw that and it always stuck with me. Like, what what can we do about that? How, how can we help agents see the mountain of opportunity that they're sitting on being in the real estate space? And, and the example I usually give is, you know, if I was a stock trader, um, you know, working and I got a hot stock tip and I made a trade on it, uh, I go to jail because that's insider trading, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm using inside information to make money yeah. in real estate. That doesn't happen. We have all the tools, all the data, all the connections, the vendors and all that at our disposal. Yeah. And we're just kind of sitting on that opportunity and using an excuse um, or, you know, and it's a lot of it's legit, but at the same time, maybe not taking as much attention and focus to go pursue real estate investing so that five years from now, 10 years from now, I do have passive income coming in. And what if my car payment, my food and my mortgage were taken care of every month through real estate investing. And now my commissions were just gravy on top of that, all the fun money, you know? And so that's what I'd love to do is to help agents get started, take those first couple of steps or figure out how to scale to where they can start using this opportunity they're sitting on in real estate to, to make some real money. So before we get into the investing piece, what about the working with investors? Uh, so as a real estate agent, is there is there any advice that you would give to an agent who, you know, again, I'm sure many listeners right now are just struggling. And <clears throat> for one reason or another, they haven't gone down that path. They've just kind of been traditional. It's it's the neighborhoods, it's the community, it's SOI, it's that sort of thing. But it hasn't been investors. And and I'm sure there's a lot of reasons. Maybe maybe price point is typically lower. Maybe it's a little bit more uh, complicated deals because sometimes they're dilapidated properties, things like that. Uh, but what would be the avenue that you would advise if somebody came to you and said, man, I'm struggling. How did you tap into that market? How should I pursue it? Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple things kind of, I'm, I'm a systems-minded person, right? With my background in, in operations and admin. And so I thought about, you know, what if as an agent, because I spent a lot of time helping to plan client events, staying in touch with clients, right? We know the average person moves every seven to 10 years. So I've got to figure out how do I keep a good, real relevant relationship with somebody for seven to 10 years to hope that they then choose me again to be their agent. And we hear, we hear the stories where they don't always do that, right? 
but I'm spending seven to 10 years to stay in touch with that client. And somebody told me, they said, Mike, what if instead of, you know, getting 80, 80 closings as an example, like that would be really great for most agents and small teams. Like if I could have 80 closings, um, what if I just found 20 people that bought four properties a year? And because those people are buying properties um, for a year, you've got that for as long as you continue to do a good job for them. Now we're not, we're not there. We do have clients that are repeat clients. We have had properties, people buy four properties a year, but it made me think differently about how I'm approaching my real estate career where, yeah, I don't have 20 people buying four a year, but I've got a, a, a few of them buying multiple properties a year. Well, then that's 10 closings a year, 15 closings a year that they're buying more properties with the money that they've made off of the properties that I've helped them buy. Mm -hmm. So it's sustaining itself. And so I tell my investors, I'm incentivized to do a good job for you to find you a property that makes you money. Because if you make money on that property, you're going to want to buy another property. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean that I'm just going to throw away. Now we decided to go investor focused, but that doesn't mean I'm going to throw away my residential business. But what if 10% or 20% of your business came from investors and you had those reoccurring closings where, yeah, maybe it's a couple people doing two a year. Um, you know, you've got a couple closings on the board each year if you help them find good properties. And then now I don't have to start each year at zero. Maybe it's I start each year at five or 10. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought differently about investors. And you're right, property prices tend to be lower, but they also like to scale up. And so it might be, I buy, you know, that that $200,000 property and I get a couple of those. Well, then I do a cash out refi and now I go buy a fourplex or I buy an eightplex. And so we've seen that happen with our investors where they sell their lower properties and they look to scale up into larger properties to get more of an economies of scale. So you might get, you know, that that eightplex listing um, after you've helped them sell a couple of fourplexes or a couple of duplexes as well. Um, so it's kind of that reoccurring client. And I have a great relationship with them because I talk to them all throughout the year. I don't have to worry about, hey, will they buy from me seven years from now? Because I just helped them last month and now they're going to buy another one three or four yeah. months from now. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, not to mention, you didn't even, you didn't even mention the, the, the fact that how many of these properties then at some point in time, whether they're a flip or need to, or they're a long-term hold need to be sold. And naturally, who are they going to turn to to sell? Right. And that, yeah, as being in the investment space, a lot of the property managers also have licenses um, at times. And so you still got to stay in touch with them. You still got to have a great relationship because they are working with their property manager. Now I could start a property management company as well, but at the same time, yeah, you're in a position where if you're staying in touch with them, you help them do a great job on, on the purchase of that property. They naturally will want to come, come to you um, to be able to sell that property. And then if you're talking, you know, 1031 exchange, if you if you don't want to pay taxes on that gain, yeah, they're probably going to pour that sale into a future buy with you. And so you can double end that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love it. <clears throat> what, what about what about taking this approach uh, to the non quote unquote investor? So it's, you know, it's it's the it's the W2 employee, it's the teacher, it's the business person, it's the doesn't matter any career person and just taking it to them and 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 educating them but also providing them the opportunity. Yeah, that is the challenge that we find is, you know, if I'm, you know, 
I'm essentially competing for investment dollars, right? For, for that person that doesn't know real estate. So they can go look at the stock market. They can go look at their 401k plan and see what their mutual fund produced over the last three year, five year, 10 year average. And they know it's X percent, right? So I've got to be able to show them that this beats that and there's additional risks. And I think at the same time, there's additional risks with, with a stock market. It, it can go down. Um, sometimes, you know, people invest in Bitcoin or, you know, stuff like that too. That stuff can go down um, mm -hmm. and it has. And so you've got to show them how real estate can get them where they need to go and show them the potential returns. You know, a lot of people talk about if you're buying a cash flowing property, you get cash flow every month. They're paying off your mortgage. <clears throat> so your mortgage is going down every month. Um, you get tax benefits. Um, and so, and then you get appreciation, assuming that this, you know, the housing market continues to go up over time. And, and if you're buying a property for three, five, 10 year hold, yeah, the market might soften for a year or two, but over 10 years, it's probably going to go up. And so what you need to show them is how all of those different levers add up to something that has a much bigger opportunity than the stock market or, you know, those other investment vehicles. And they're still going to diversify. You know, you're not going to, you know, I feel like you can still diversify only within real estate, but there's other opportunities out there. The hard thing is, is it's tough to show them because each property is different. Each opportunity is different. Um, I can't <clears throat> show you. Yeah. If you would have taken this dollar amount here, invested in the stock market versus bought this property five years ago, here's the difference in price. You know, some, you got to get, get a lot of time, a lot of face time with them to be able to lay that out side by side. So that is the challenge um, is trying to quantify that for them. Just like if I was an agent selling a residential listing, Hey, I can get you top dollar. And another agent in their pitch says, I can get you top dollar. How do you know which one to believe, you know? And yeah. so you've got to yeah. be able to show them that data um, to show, well, my top dollar is higher than the other person's top dollar. And then if they don't choose you and they sell it, could you have gotten more? They're never going to, they're, they're not going to know that. So that's kind of that challenging piece, but um, that's where I kind of am the the flag bearer here of, of investment property as an opportunity to hit your financial goals. I want to do that. And so we have deal calculators where we put together you know, here's the projections. Now you still got to do your own due diligence, but here's what you could stand to make on this property or this opportunity over some of the other opportunities out there. Love it, man. Yeah. And the other, the other piece of this too, that not many people are thinking about, but let me just give you an extra reason why I love uh, the thought of an agent attacking the real estate side is, is content. Uh, because that's, you know, what I teach and coach and, and it's, it's, it's HGTV style. And so anytime you have that opportunity to kind of do a before and after or tell a story about, uh, you know, about how, how an investor went in and bought it for X and spent X and flipped it for X or rented it for X. And it, people love to consume that stuff. And then all of a sudden it elevates your authority status in the real estate space. You end up getting more eyeballs, which ends up getting more followers, which ends up getting more conversations, which creates more opportunities. And so uh, that's another piece of this too, because the more you're dabbling in that arena, uh, the more opportunity it gives you now to market yourself with content that they actually want to consume, not the typical Monday market update crap that nobody wants to watch, right? Yeah. So I want to ask you this. Um, 
the the next my next train of thought and i'm not a real estate agent is okay why and this is how my brain thinks okay so if i'm going to sit here and pursue and present opportunities for investors great opportunities in, in theory, right? Opportunities, like you said, where they're going to make money because if they do, they'll come back to me. Why am I not cherry picking these? Why am I not pursuing this for myself? And and I, I don't know any statistics on this, but my guess is most agents look at it through one particular lens, which is I want to get a buyer to buy a house or get a seller to sell a house. They don't look at it and say, oh, that's a great opportunity. I need to call Mike and, and see if he wants to buy it. They don't say, oh, that's a great opportunity. I need to buy it. And so that's the other wavelength here that we're now going to go down that rabbit hole of why not think that way? Why don't agents think that way? And so what are your thoughts on just that? Well, that's exactly how we got the 25 unit apartment is, you know, I'm looking at investment opportunities every day. Um, you know, some of them, I, I think too, investors all have different goals and objectives and different buy boxes. And so it might be that, a certain investor, you know, let's just use uh, Section 8 as an example. Like there's some investors that wouldn't want to buy a property that could have Section 8 tenants because they view it as having more hassle, right? There's more hassle, there's more wear and tear on the property. So I have a conversation with an investor that they're like, you know what, Mike, I'm not really interested in properties that might have Section 8 because of those reasons. Sure. I go talk to another investor, they're like, Mike, we have section eight properties. We love them because, you know, we're getting guaranteed income. And during COVID, when a lot of the tenants were struggling to pay rents, our income didn't go down because we love section eight. So I yeah. think that's the other cool pieces. Everybody has different investment objectives and different preferences. That being said, absolutely. Like you said, if something fits your buy box or fits the opportunity that you want to pursue, I want to go pursue that. So for me, because I had a few smaller properties, I was looking to scale up. And so I was looking for an opportunity where, and two, I didn't want to, because I want to still work with buyers and sellers and, and investors, I'm looking for an opportunity where a property wasn't going to soak up a bunch of my time. And so I wanted a property that was large enough where a good property manager that I trusted was going to be able to run with this renovation project. I don't have to play GC. I don't have to go find the plumbers, the electricians and all that. Cause we had done a flip a couple of years ago, took a lot of my time out. You know, I took a lot of time away from my family. So I was looking for kind of that passive opportunity. So we have a wholesaler <clears throat> that finds a lot of properties for us. And he says, Hey, here's this deal we've got. We've got this 25 unit property. I know you have a lot of investors that like that. Um, you know, would you, would you be interested? I ran the numbers on it and I talked to the other folks on my team as like, guys, I think this is the one. I think this is the one that we put our eggs in and we partner up on. Um, we bring in another investor to help us too and we buy it. So we did. Um, and now we're in the process of renovating those 25 units, um, probably sell in a year or two from now um, and then go take those and, and go buy another larger property as well. And so, and then same thing on the short-term rental side, we're analyzing short-term opportunities and so we're looking at, hey, let's partner with some investors that we know that might be interested in some short-term opportunities. What's the value that we can provide? 
and how do we help grow together faster? So I typically, when I'm talking with an investor or an agent or somebody that's interested in getting started in investing, um, I talk about the kind of the, the value triangle. So, you know, if you picture the, the three sides of a triangle, we've got um, time, money, and expertise. And so it's possible that you could do all three of these things, or you have all three of these things yourself, but you could potentially grow faster if you go find partners or you go find people that want to do this with you that can add value in maybe the areas where you're weak. So I look at it as for my side of the triangle, I have expertise because I'm looking at investment properties all day long. Mm -hmm. um, I have a little bit of time, but like I said, with, with my larger deal, I didn't want to get sucked into being the GC and having to do all that work. So I'm looking for leverage through a good property manager and then money. Yeah, I have some money, but if I can have more money from other investors, I can scale faster. So, you know, this, this investor came in and put up a good chunk of money on, on this 25 unit. And then now we're partnering with other investors as well to help us grow faster. So I could go get a portfolio much quicker partnering with investors versus putting all of my own funds into investment properties. And so I tell people kind of look at that triangle, time, money, expertise, where am I best? And then where can I go find people to help fill out that triangle so we can grow further, faster together? I love it. Why uh, Why are you flipping the 25 unit versus hold, holding? Well, so it'll, it'll either be take the proceeds from the sale and go, go scale into a couple of properties versus having just the 125 unit, um, be able to, you know, kind of the, the leverage right on the lending side. Um, if I can go sell that, go put 25% down on two other properties, maybe I can go get 50 units instead of 25. Um, or maybe I can pursue some other, some other investments. And so I would do, you know, a 1031 exchange as well. So we don't have that taxable event. Um, so that's another opportunity or the other conversation we're having is do a cash out refi, um, you know, get some of that capital back, go pour that into a property and continue to hold it because it is a pretty good cash flowing asset. So that's kind of where we're at. I think we decided, you know, number one, we got to renovate the units, get the value up. Um, but then we would look at either a cash out refi or a sale and kind of just depends on the market and where we're at. And then two, because you're working with other partners, we all have different goals and objectives. So making sure we're on the same page and we make a good team decision. So got it. Got it. Yeah. So it's just simply a, a it's opportunity. You just see it as a bigger opportunity to sell and purchase more versus uh, just holding on to it and cash flowing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, which could be fine. We might decide to hold and, and yeah, if the refi makes sense, depending on where the rates are at that time. Yeah. We might just, just sit on it too. Keyword where the rates are. That's right. Yep. So I love it. So, you know, what, what is your, what is your very specific strategy as it relates to, you know, finding property? Uh, do you guys have any, you know, specific techniques, you know, you know, I've talked to a lot of investors over the years and, and some do the old driving around the neighborhoods and, and, you know, if they see a, a property with high grass, you know, they, they make a, they make a pitch for it. And, um, and I've heard a bunch of other, you know, different, different strategies. What, uh, what is your strategy for finding investment properties? It's a little bit of everything, uh, because we're, we're pursuing opportunities, not only for ourselves, but also our investors. Um, and because we're an investor focused team, we're casting a wide net. Um, 
It is a combination. I will say, at least in my market, I know some markets are a little bit different. The MLS actually provides some opportunities. Um, I would say more than half of the properties that we close with our investors are deals that have been on the MLS. Um, like I said, not every market can say that. Um, so that's a start. And what I tell people for the MLS is you at least have a, a because we're analyzing deals all day long, you kind of have the information at your disposal right away, right? You know the purchase price. A lot of times if they're entering it well, you know the the current rents, the current leases, the current expenses, or you could reach out to the listing agent because the seller's incentivized to sell, they're going to get back to you with questions. So you can kind of flesh through those properties pretty quickly. Um, and then off market, it's just a lot of networking. So we network with wholesalers. Um, we join a lot of kind of off market Facebook groups, <clears throat> um, trying to find those off market opportunities. Um, I always tell people, if you go in those groups, get on people's buyer lists. So I'm on a ton of lists of any off-market stuff they send to me. Um, and so that's another route. Other agents- what, what specific, before you go on, what specific kind of Facebook group are we talking? Yeah, so if you just search, you know, your community. Um, so I'm in, you know, Minneapolis, St. Paul. So we've got, you know, the Twin Cities. So it might be, you know, Minneapolis, St. Paul, off-market properties, Twin Cities, off-market okay, properties, so, so Twin Cities deals. Off-market property groups. Yeah, basically. or even just okay. like deals, real estate, investors. Um, you know, there's a real estate investment association groups in a lot of the major markets. So you can go there. Um, so you can start networking and kind of find out where that off-market investor um, kind of crowd likes to hang out networking. Um, you know, going to different events, investor events, that kind of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, in a lot of those groups, you'll see, hey, does anybody want to be added to the buyer list? Okay, great. So, you know, we we kind of had a competition on our team is how fat, you know, who's the first one in our team that's going to get their email on those buyer lists. And so it takes time. Um, so it's not like, you know, week one, when we started to do this, now we're getting all these awesome deals, but it's, it started to come back in. Now we're having agents reach out to us. Hey, I heard you have investors that like to buy this type of property, or hey, I hear you have investors that, um, because not a lot of investors are going over four units. A lot of them are just kind of single family duplexes. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the over four unit stuff, sometimes we'll get calls of, hey, I hear you might have investors that like to buy these types of properties. Do you have anybody? Um, so it just like, you know, getting your name out there in the residential space, it takes time. Um, but then other agents. So other agents doing investments um, or listing investment properties was another spot that we reached out to to pursue. So um, who's the agents right now listing the, the single family flips, the duplexes, the fourplexes? And then I just reached out to each of them. Hey, we have investors that we work with. Can you add me to your deal list? And then the question that I always train agents is, do you have anything else? So they might've just listed a duplex. Do you have anything else coming down the line? Do you have anything else that investors might want to invest in? Do you have anything else? And it's not a one-time conversation. It's like, well, I asked them in February and they said no. So now here we are in, in May. Okay. I guess they don't have anything. You got to keep asking. Mm -hmm. And so just like, you know, marketing to your buyers, uh, and sellers, we do a lot of marketing to the other agents just to stay in front of them to try to connect and build relationships with them. Um, what we're finding too, you know, we've done the get a cash offer on your home, um, reach out to us type thing. And what we also find too is 
a lot of those sellers that are looking to sell are like, oh yeah, when I asked them, who else have you reached out to? Oh yeah, we reached out to Open Door. Oh yeah, we reached out to Zillow. We reached out to three other iBuyers. You're the fifth offer that we have. Um, so are you going to be able to beat these other five offers? You know, some of that stuff happens too. So it's kind of like, you know, you, you've got to have your sweet spots, just like the residential side, but you're going to get bit sources of business from lots of different areas. And so, um, yeah, our pursuit is more after finding the deals versus an agent's pursuit, a residential agent's pursuit is keeping the relationships with the buyers and the sellers. We're going and building relationships with the properties, you know, trying to find either who's listing the properties or who's selling the properties um, themselves and try to go find and build those relationships. That's good. I mean, I think I think that's something that a lot of agents probably overlook is just kind of the aggregation of all of the different sources uh, for where you can find properties. And really, that's probably where the grind, the, the hardest grind is, right? It's just, it's just, you know, digging up all of those resources so that you can get it on as many lists as possible. How, how, what would you say is the, is the, is the turn time on something like that? So as you, now that you've gotten to the, to that level where you have aggregated all of these various sources, you know, how many properties are coming in front of you before you're finding the right one? Is there, you, you find a certain kind of just rough percentage of how many, you know, it's like, I have to call a hundred leads before I get one, maybe, you know? Yeah. I would say, you know, for us, like I said, the MLS is a good source for us. The reality is, is 95% of them aren't worth pursuing for the numbers that I know our investors want to hit. Um, a lot of our investors are out of state um, or they're not looking to occupy. So like the house hacker, the fix and flipper, isn't really where where we live. And so there's a lot of good deals out for, for those types of people. I'm just looking for the non-owner occupant investor. And so, you know, I'll know just by looking at the MLS as an example, like a, a duplex in Minneapolis might sell for $400,000. Or $400, the rents coming in might be $2,400. Um, I know that's not going to pencil for the investor that we're looking for. So, you know, probably similar kind of the one in a hundred, um, you're going to have to go through a lot of deals. But the nice thing is, is when you find that deal that fits, now I blast it out to my investor database and say, hey, hey here's an opportunity. Do you want to move on it? And if they're in the market looking, actively looking for a property, they tend to move on them pretty quick. And so I'll say that the competition, so if I'm comparing investor to residential, the competition is a little bit less, at least what we found. So, you know, when we kind of first got into the investor side, um, you know, early 2021, you know, it's, hey, we just, you know, I'm competing with 40 other offers on this property on the residential side. We'd maybe have five, three to yeah. five. Um, so there's still a little bit of competition, but not yet to the same level. Um, a lot of our investors were were pretty well funded and experienced. And so we kind of rose to the top when the listing agent or the seller would reach out and say, tell me more about your investor. So there's a little less competition there. Um, but make no mistake, there's there's still a grind element of you got to look at a lot of deals to find that one that's going to fit. The other thing that I do tell people is um, kind of to use a baseball analogy, you know, a lot of times the investors are looking for the home run deal. Um, and I've, you know, listened to a lot of investing podcasts there's still good opportunities and a good single and a good double as well. And so you don't want to just sit and only wait for those home runs because if you're going to be an investor and have 
five, 10, maybe 20 properties down the road, you're going to need some singles and doubles along the way. And so if the numbers work out, let's move forward on it. Um, instead of waiting for that very perfect opportunity that I'm going to spend two years waiting on and passing up all these other opportunities, just waiting for that home run. Not to mention, there's probably a hell of a lot more competition in the home runs. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. I love it, man. I love it. Um, what What am I missing? What have I not asked you that is something that you would think that there was just absolute value for for the audience or for somebody listening who might want to be getting into this realm? Yeah. So what I would say is agents get busy and agents don't necessarily prioritize building their investment portfolio. I've talked with a lot of agents where because they're they're so focused on their next sale, they're mm -hmm. so focused on keeping the deal that they have together to get it to closing that a lot of them look up a year from now, two years from now, and it's like, shoot, I've I haven't moved any closer to my real estate investing goals or my future finance goals because I'm just so busy with the day-to-day -day in real estate. And so what I want to encourage agents to do is what can you do in a given day or a given week or a given month to take steps to move closer to your investing goals? Um, because the hard thing is, is if I'm looking to save up a down payment on a property myself, right? If I'm not going to partner with somebody, the difference between today and tomorrow, unless I just had a closing, my financial situation is that much different. So if I'm looking to put aside an extra 10 grand to be able to put down on a property, the difference between today and tomorrow isn't going to change it. The difference between today and next week maybe isn't going to change it. But you got to figure out how to keep taking a small step forward every day, every week, or every month so that you can hit your goal. So if my goal is to get a property by the end of the year, I know I can't wake up Thanksgiving and be like, okay, whoop, now I got to go get my property by the end of the year because it takes a little bit of time. And so those little slivers of time between now and the end of the year when you continue to research properties, network and find deals um, to the point to where deals are coming to you, that's how you get your property by the end of the year. It's not just, I'm going to really focus on my sales career right now and hope at Thanksgiving time, I find a good deal. Um, and then that tends to happen year after year after year where you're not any closer to your goals two or three years from now, because I just got busy with real estate as an agent, not focusing on as an investor. Sounds and, familiar. Sounds and familiar. I was just going to say too, like when you work a little bit with investors, you're double dipping your time because I'm looking at deals for investors. And just like you said, if that good opportunity comes along, hey, maybe I go buy this myself or maybe I go put together a partner or two yeah. to do this deal with them. So when you spend just enough time working with investors, now your playground that you're playing in is going to already naturally help you get to your financial goals versus if I only do residential, now it's like I, I have to consciously think about investment properties to, to hit my investing goals. But if I'm working with investors a little bit, the likelihood of me stumbling across a good deal or stumbling across uh, maybe the education I need to move forward on something, I'm more likely to hit that when I'm at least in the investor space a little bit. I love it, man. I love it. So if somebody says, you know, I, I love I love what Mike is, is, is bringing to me today. I want to connect with him. What's the best way to get connected to you? Yeah. So our website is Real Freedom. So it's R-E-L, like you said, Real Estate Leveraged Freedom. So R-E-L freedom.com. Um, we have a, a podcast. 
Um, I'm excited to share that starting in June, we're actually going from one episode a month to two episodes or one episode a week to two episodes a week. Um, I highlight people building wealth, building time and financial freedom through opportunities in real estate. Some are investors, some are agents that aren't investing. Some are cool. um, other third-party companies that are doing something in real estate to build wealth. So the podcast is all about just highlighting people building wealth, um, building time and financial freedom through real estate. Um, and then I do have a, an investor agent tribe um, that I'm building of agents that want to take this more serious, that want to pursue hitting their investing goals. So we talk about um, kind of just learning curve, learning about investing, um, help you become an investor, but also help you get started working with investors. So you can put another closing or two on the board between now and you know six months from now from an investment property. And so we have a mastermind um, that we get together, we talk about every week. Um, and so you can go to agentinvestormastermind.com and learn more about that. I love it. I love it. So anybody who's wanting to take, you know, take, I may, you know, not, not necessarily, you know, jump right off and, and go right into investing, but, but learn or listen to the, those that are having success with it. Cause I assume when you're interviewing these people on your podcast, it's, it's a, all varieties of different strategies and, and approaches to how they've gotten into what they've done. So it's, it's REL Freedom Podcast, Real Estate Leverage Freedom Podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. I highly recommend checking that out or going to follow along with Mike. Where, where are you most uh, prevalent on social? Uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn right now, uh, it's, it's kind of that, the hangout spot for investors. Um, and so that's where investors tend to connect because a lot of them are business people as well. So in addition to being an agent, um, LinkedIn is where we're putting more of our, our focus here on growing our social media. I love it. Not to mention LinkedIn is the one, the one and only platform that you can still do a lot of hardcore targeting. So uh, mm -hmm. even though it's low on my list behind me, it's uh, it, it has a lot of uses and you just uh, kind of kind of uh, exemplified that. So I love it, man. Well, I appreciate you sharing with our audience, man. I think uh, it's always great to hear this. Uh, I always want one agent to walk away from our podcast and uh, and and hopefully it changes their life. And, uh, you know, this is not the first time we've talked about this topic. We're going to continue talking about this topic from time to time just because it's so important. And, uh, and, and the landscape of our industry continues to change, but there's always opportunity here. So Mike is awesome chatting with you. Awesome getting connected and hope we stay connected and, uh, keep, keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep crushing. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Today's episode is brought to you by ZBuyer. ZBuyer offers an unparalleled home buyer and seller lead generation service. It's made by realtors for realtors. Since 2003, ZBuyer has been continually perfecting state-of-the-art lead generation pathways. And ZBuyer brings motivated home buyers and sellers to your virtual doorstep. So visit zbuyer.com forward slash LCA to see how ZBuyer can help you close more deals in 2023.